0: Welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. This is John Murphy, and it's my pleasure to uh, welcome to this podcast Dr. Bruno Payot, who is internationally recognized for his research on the identification, characterization, and purification of human stem cells. Uh, Dr. Payot is the, did his initial pioneering work in France and joined the McGowan Institute in 2003. Dr. Payot, it's a pleasure to have you at the Regenerative Medicine Today. My pleasure to be here. Thank you very much, John. I understand that uh, your studies focus on the use of various types of adult-derived stem cells, and uh, I know this is of particular interest to many in our audience because of the uncertainty, both from a scientific as well as an ethical perspective, and the uh, possible use of embryonic stem cells. Uh, So I'm looking forward to our discussions today uh, where you can share with us some of your very basic emerging science that I believe offers uh, much promise in terms of the application of uh, adult uh, derived stem cells for various uh, therapies. Uh, Can you just give us a brief introduction to uh, the the focus in your laboratory and uh, some of the exciting things that are going on?
1: Certainly, John. Um, We have, I would say, classically been involved in the identification and prospective purification of a number, a variety of tissue-restricted stem cells and principally hematopoietic stem cells. That was the recent past. Um, When I joined uh, the University of Pittsburgh and the uh, Magon Institute uh, three years ago and something, um, I became in involved in something uh, slightly different, which is uh, the characterization of these very elusive, multipotent, multilineage stem cells, which have been shown by a variety of investigators to exist in adult tissues. And in fact, this was um, when it was first understood that adult tissues contain such stem cells, it was against the dogma, because for a long, long time it was assumed, it was believed that uh, the only multipotent stem cells, I mean stem cells that can give rise to any sort of of tissue, are only found in the early embryo. And beyond these early stages of development, these multipotent stem cells uh, get Uh, specialized, uh, their progeny, become specialized in a number of specific tissue-specific progenitors, and they were believed to be lost at later stages. Recently, different groups have shown that, in fact, it is possible to extract um, such multipotent stem cells even from adult tissues. And a number of reports have described the existence of such multilineage stem cells in uh, uh, developed tissues like the brain, the bone marrow, the pancreas, the, the skin, the muscle, even the fat, the, the fat tissue, the, the, the adipose tissue, contains uh, a population of multilineage progenitors which uh, probably exhibit uh, much promise in regenerative medicine. However, all these cells have been uh, identified uh, a posteriori, retrospectively, so uh, nobody had any clue as to the identity and distribution in organs of these cells. It was a sort of very artificial uh, identification of these cells. What we have done, uh, when I moved to, to Pittsburgh, in collaboration with uh, uh, my collaborator, Johnny Huard, uh, who had recently at that time identified a similar population of multipotent progenitors in human muscle. So what we have tried to do is to directly, prospectively identify these stem cells, understand where they are, what they do, and be able to very uh, stringently purify these cells from uh, human tissues.
0: So if if I can step back for just a moment to make sure all of our listeners uh Understand the significance and the importance of the of the multipotency. Uh, I believe it's it's your vision and the vision of uh, the, the clinicians who would ultimately use uh, cells like this for therapeutic purposes. That, irregardless of the source of the cells, a a multipotent cell is one that, if it was injected into muscle tissue, would uh, form new muscle tissue. If it was injected into the heart, it would form cardiac tissue and so forth.
1: Is that correct? This is absolutely correct. Um, at, at the present time, all the information we have on these ubiquitous stem cells is that they, they have very diverse lineage potentials. Yet we have not characterized all these potentials. We know that they can very efficiently make skeletal muscle, cardiac muscle, bone, cartilage, adipocytes, and we are presently trying to determine whether these cells can also give rise to ectodermal derivatives, Uh, this is the skin, this is the nervous system, or to endodermal derivatives, uh, or the epithelia in the pancreas, in the gut, in the uh, lung, uh, which all, uh, uh, of course, uh, should uh, have very, very, very significant interest uh, in regenerative medicine.
0: And so, uh, again, again, for clarity for our listeners, uh, it's because uh, embryonic cells uh, start with an embryo and, and then uh, form various types of tissue and organs and so forth that uh, some scientists believe that, uh, it, that that speaks to the multipotency of, of the, that source of cells. And as I said a few moments ago, we I think mostly are aware of the of the debate about the ethical issues. What's exciting to me is is that your ongoing research suggests that you can get the same effect, the same potency uh, of for these uh, adulterized cells that uh, you've uh, just begun to share with us.
1: I think this is absolutely correct. Uh, although we have not. Um, yet definitely demonstrated that these cells have the same potential as genuine embryonic stem cells. Um, We we believe that, uh, and we believe more and more, because these are really ongoing experiments, this project is really extremely active at this moment, but we believe that uh, these cells, in fact, represent uh, a small subset of embryonic stem cell-like cells um, which should have survived uh, And that should persist uh, in the the adults. So if we are really able to extract these cells, to purify them, to homogeneity, to grow them, uh, we might have um, a cell therapy product uh, that should be, in fact, quite similar to embryonic stem cells and their derivatives. And, of course, there should be absolutely no ethical, moral issue associated with the purification obtention and use of these cells since they are coming from pretty much every tissue of the adult. It's but we still, excuse me, John, but we still, I mean, we still have to, to, to work quite, quite a bit to really demonstrate that uh, these cells have all the developmental potentials associated with embryonic stem cells, for sure. Yeah, I, th- I think it's important to stress and to
0: reaffirm what you just said, and that is that this is basic science, it's uh, emerging science. Uh, your laboratory continues to produce uh, results which uh, you will continue to share with the scientific community and uh, through the uh, traditional peer review process uh, uh, this body of knowledge will continue to grow and be substantiated by, by others. So Dr. Pio, uh these, uh, these uh, opportunities sound very promising and uh, again I understand that uh, this is uh, preliminary in nature but uh, I believe I've seen that you uh, you start with uh, uh, sources of cells from blood vessels and from fat like uh, liposuction fat. Uh, if that's correct, can you just briefly summarize for us uh, how do you go from, from that source of cells to what it might be the end product that could be used in therapeutic
1: uh, applications? Yes. Um... In fact, when we uh, started this project, um, we were quite amazed by the observation of ourselves and of other groups that, in fact, these multipotent adult stem cells have been discovered in, um, in fact, in pretty much every single tissue where people looked for them, they could find them. Um, As I said before, in in the brain, pancreas, muscle, fat tissue, placenta, so, we reasoned what is common between all these tissues, and when you think about it, what is, what is the, the common denominator between all these tissues? It is the blood vessel. It is a structure which is ubiquitous. Almost all tissues are vascularized, and so blood vessels are really what is shared by all these tissues. So, we thought maybe these elusive multipotent stem cells are a part um, of these blood vessels, And in fact, it was not just by chance that we thought of that, because um, before I moved to to the USA, um, one of the achievements of my group in uh, in France was to demonstrate that uh, in uh, human ontogeny, human development, the first um, the blood stem cells that, that arise in the in the early embryo are in fact derived from a special population of vascular cells, of endothelial cells. So the endothelial cells are the cells that line the inside of the blood vessels. So we showed the existence, and we characterized to... Um, to a good extent, these uh, uh, hematogenous blood-forming endothelial cells. And so um, to get back to uh, what we are talking about today, we wanted to uh, ask the question, is it possible that these um, blood vessel cells can express other potentials, and is it possible that these elusive adult stem cells uh, should be associated with blood vessels? So what we did, um, and to make it short, I don't want to get into uh, too many Uh, technical details, but um, what we did is that we um, uh, first looked for what we called markers, which are the the properties, uh, usually molecules that allow you to identify specific subsets of cells. So we tried to define appropriate uh, compositions of markers to identify these cells in human tissues. And when this was done, we purified these cells uh, by automated techniques and by flow cytometry. And then we introduce these purified human vascular cells into a variety of assays to test their developmental potential. And in fact, um, we have identified at least two distinct populations of cells which are closely associated with the walls of the blood vessels and principally the small blood vessels, the capillaries and the microvessels, One of them is located exclusively within muscle tissue. We call these cells myoendothelial cells because very uniquely, very strangely, and this is very novel, they share markers of myogenic cells, so the cells which are normally responsible for regenerating the muscle, and markers of endothelial cells. They are sort of, uh, if you wish, hybrid between these two lineages. So when we had... uh, Uh, precisely identified these cells with markers, when we had purified these cells to homogeneity, and when we started using these cells for muscle regeneration in animal models, we found that not only they regenerate muscle, but quantitatively their myogenic potential is dramatic. It's about 10 times higher in our animal models than that of the professional myogenic cells, which are in the muscle, the well-known satellite cells. So if you sort both cell subsets from the muscle, the satellite cells and the myoendothelial cells, and compare the potential to regenerate a new muscle, new muscle fibers, so these novel myoendothelial cells do about 10 times better. They, They regenerate about 10 times more myofibers, and this is quite spectacular. All this work being done by, uh, in collaboration with uh, Johnny, Johnny Howard, uh, with whom, in fact, we have merged our uh, teams and we have created this Stem Cell Research Center at the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. So, uh, th- again, this sounds very exciting. And so you,
0: you, you take these cells and you purify them, and I presume that you have to then grow or expand the population of cells uh, so that there, there's sufficient cells for for a therapeutic procedure. Uh, how long does it take to uh, grow the, the the original population of uh, of purified cells to be
1: a sufficient quantity? Yes, in fact, this is a very good point, and uh, this was a very good surprise for us because uh, when you when you purify stem cells classically, that 's also another dogma is that stem cells are extremely difficult to culture. I mean you can culture them, but they usually lose uh, their potential in culture they don't remain really as as, as stem cells. This is, for example, the the big, big problem met with hematopoietic stem cells, blood stem cells. It is very, very difficult to expand uh, these uh, stem cells ex vivo. Uh, The good surprise here is that uh, when we seeded these myoendopheol cells after purification in culture in appropriate medium, well, on the one hand, they could proliferate for weeks and months, And most importantly, they could retain, they sustained their developmental potential, which means that uh, whether you either use these cells immediately after purification or after three months of culture, their ability to regenerate muscle is the same. Quantitatively, maybe not exactly, but qualitatively, it is the same. And to answer more precisely your question regarding how how long does it take, we could calculate, uh, this is a collaboration with uh, uh, Dr. Bridget D.C. at our center, we could show that uh, you need about 10 days, starting from one single sorted cell, to get a million cells in the Petri dish. So in terms of potential clinical application, it is very encouraging. It means that it it might be possible, really, to uh, get large quantities of these cells uh, in the perspective of a clinical application. Of course, there is, there is danger, because when you, when you talk long-term expansion in vitro, you also associate this often with tumor development. A cell that grows very, very fast in the petri dish, which is very happy in these conditions, may be prone to form a tumor later on. So it is something which is extremely important, of course, and that we have verified. So we use the classic assays, both ex vivo and uh, in vivo, To demonstrate that these cells, in fact, have no tendency, as far as we can tell today, to form tumors. Another uh, possible danger, a risk, a chance, is that uh, cells that proliferate for a long period of time, like this in vitro, will undergo some genetic alterations. Um, You probably know that uh, this was a concern uh, when it was discovered a couple of years ago by a group in the UK that, in fact, embryonic stem cells, which are, this is one of their main properties, can be grown uh, for very long periods of time, uh, in fact, accumulate some genetic alterations uh, with uh, maternalizing culture. So we have uh, started looking at this, and so far, uh, as far as we can tell, and this was performed by uh, another uh, person at the center named uh, Burhan Garabay, uh, we have shown that these cells... um, seem, in fact, uh, to be totally intact genetically after weeks and months of in vitro culture. We have not been able so far to detect any karyotypic abnormality in these culture cells, which is also very encouraging, of course, in the perspective of possible therapeutic use of these cells. So I I understand from what you just described that
0: you're very cautiously approaching this, looking at uh, any possible uh, stumbling blocks, but... uh, Again, from what we hear to this point, it looks looks very promising. Uh, you you mentioned uh, before about uh, some of the therapeutic uh, applications. So again, just from a conceptual perspective, uh, in terms of somebody that's uh, had some you know loss of tissue due to uh, cancer therapy or accident or other disease, uh, so the the application would be to uh, take uh, some of this patient's own uh, uh, tissue, uh, harvest uh, these cells from their tissue, that's their cells, so there's no immune response problems that uh, would be encountered. Uh, you'd purify them, uh, you would grow or expand them as you've described to us, and uh, then uh, perhaps in what seems to me to be on the order of uh, Ten days, two weeks. There might be sufficient cells to uh, to treat uh, this particular affliction that
1: this patient is uh, suffering from. Correct? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, I have mentioned uh, so far these myoblastial cells. They are restricted to the muscle, and it's perfectly, uh, I think, uh, possible to envision the purification, expansion, and administration back into the patient uh, of these cells, but. Only in the case of muscle disease or muscle injury, massive muscle muscle loss. Um, in fact the group of Cossu in Italy has recently shown that a probably related population of um, uh, vascular associated cells uh, was able to regenerate very efficiently muscle in dystrophic dogs. Uh, but we have identified, in fact, another population, which is distinct from these myoendothelial cells, and which is present in all tissues because it is associated with all blood vessels. And these cells are cells which are associated with the small blood vessels, and uh, they, are, they are named perivascular cells because they are just around the endothelial cells. They encircle very closely the small blood vessels. Uh, they are also named mural cells or pericytes. And uh, at the difference with the previous ones, these cells are, of course, present everywhere. So same thing, same strategy, same tactics. We have identified these cells with markers, we have purified these cells, and we have tested their potential to make a variety of tissues. And here, in fact, uh, you can cover a large spectrum of differentiation potentials. Being associated with blood vessels, once again, I repeat it, but they are present everywhere, um, we have shown that they are in the muscle, but also in the pancreas, in the skin, in the lung, in the brain, and in the fat, in the fat tissue. So what we have done is that, uh, starting from fat, which is obtained after cosmetic surgery or by aspiration from patients, a very easy and painless procedure. So we have taken this fat, um, and from the fat, we have purified this population of parasites. We have been able to purify these cells to homogeneity, which means under a very, very pure form. We have shown that they can also divide and multiply extensively in culture and that they retain their potential. So the good thing here is that uh, these cells can be derived from a source which is extremely easy to access. Everybody has some fat. It's easy to harvest, once again. And from uh, this little aspirate of fat tissue, you can purify the cells, grow them, and their potential appears to be intact. So imagine, for example, uh, somebody who would have, uh, for example, a massive bone lesion who would need a replacement. Uh, In theory, it should be possible to harvest the fat, purify these cells, grow them. And since we purify the cells, we are sure that we don't have any contaminating cells. That's very important, for example, in the case, imagine a a cancer patient who had a bone cancer, who had a large amount of bone removed, and who needs a replacement, who needs regenerative medicine. If, as people did before, you would take just the whole fats, grow it in culture, and indirectly grow these cells, the major chance should be that you have a contamination with cancer cells also, and that you should readminister together with the good cells a population of tumor cells. Whereas if we purify these cells prospectively as we do, it is extremely unlikely, if not impossible, that we shall have a contamination by the cancer cells. So this is still a theory. This is an idea at this moment. We have, of course, to document every one of these aspects. But the the fact that we should be able to repurify really the stem cell population is extremely encouraging for such protocol of autologous cell therapy.
0: Very, very interesting. And as I, I listened to your description and uh, you know, proposed uh, therapeutic applications, uh, we've had on this uh, podcast in uh, previous sessions uh, Some other scientists have talked about scaffolds that uh, could be part of this overall uh, reconstructive uh, strategy. and uh, I presume uh, in the cases of massive tissue loss uh, that it might be a combination of of your cells and,
1: and some of these scaffold technologies that are combined. Absolutely, this is a very, very important point. In fact, i'm talking in a sort of idealistic way, very very optimistic of uh, massive tissue reconstruction. I mean if you actually regenerate muscle, well you know muscle is, um, is a compact uh, solid tissue, and you just inject the with cell a, with a syringe inside the muscle and it may, it may work. When you are dealing with reconstruction, it's very, you know, intermingled structure, something very complicated. For example, projects of reconstitute the, the face, the various tissues of the face after, after major uh, in- injuries. This is extremely complicated. So how practically are you going to do it? You cannot just inject the cell population randomly because the cells won't find their way. They will not know where to, where to go, where to home, and eventually what to do, especially if they are multipotent. So you have to sort of, um, how to say, you have to, uh, to, have to organize their activity. And uh, you are very right that um, certainly the way to do that will be to integrate these cells into into scaffold, into matrices that will immobilize these cells, and, and then it will be possible to Uh, insert uh, these cells in the appropriate location. It will be extremely important, of course, to collaborate uh, with bioengineers uh, in this respect uh, to really understand how we can uh, uh, design the activity of these cells and not just get a random growth of differentiation. That's very, very important. So to, to, to make sure that the environment, the microenvironment of these cells is appropriate for them to do what we want them to do. This is key. And in this process, I have to say that uh, we have still a lot of work to do. Uh, so we are really in the process of uh, elucidating of the basic biology of these cells. So we have not really started yet investigating how we could uh, uh, so direct the function of these cells using artificial matrices, biomaterial, and scaffolds. But uh, we shall get into this shortly.
0: As you just suggested, this is, in fact, uh, some very basic, very fundamental science, and I might add some very promising science. And I know some of our listeners are, are interested in, in, in the applications of these uh, fundamental technologies. I mean, I, I believe it's safe to say that it's, uh, we're multiple years away from where uh, these particular technologies might be available on, on a clinical basis. Is that correct?
1: Um, I am always extremely prudent and reserved, and uh, because you don't want to give false hopes, of course. Also, the recent story of uh, uh, the recent history of, of stem cells tells us that um, you know you have to be extremely careful, because very often news get um, a lot of publicity, lots of hype, and shortly after bad news come. And so we had a number of uh, stories in the past 5 6 years like this um, so we have to be very very careful um however in in our case maybe we are not that far away from at least some uh, clinical applications um for example there is already a um, clinical trial going on in um, in Canada and Johnny Huard, once again is uh, deeply involved in this in this project to treat uh, a pathology which is not a very severe pathology, even if it's not very comfortable, and this is um, urinary uh, incontinence in, uh, in in females that comes from a defect in the in the control of bladder, in in the control of the sphincter. Um, so what they have done is that they have used a population which is not um, as well characterized as what we have now, but a population of autologous uh, muscle progenitors. Um, which have been directly injected into the deficient sphincter. And in fact, the results after two years are extremely encouraging in that uh, there was absolutely no adverse effect at all, and and most patients report a significant increase in their quality of life. And uh, so these are autologous cells, absolutely no problem of uh, contamination, uh, compatibility, of course. And in fact, we could... uh, could, uh, substitute the use of these uh, cultured, uh, primary cultured autologous cells um, uh, to what we have recently characterized, sort these cells and, and test their potential. So this, this might be possible. We are also quite interested in an other sort of clinical trials because a very good news also, and these are really recent results, um, is that these cells, both the endothelial cells and the perivascular cells, exhibit an outstanding potential to repair the myocardium, the heart. So we have only animal models so far. Uh, we induce myocardial infarction in a small animal, in a mouse, and then we inject these cells directly into the myocardium, as should be done basically in a, in, in a patient. And we have shown with a group of uh, excellent Japanese cardiologists who are uh, working with us and also Uh, with Dr. Bradley Keller uh, at Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh, we have shown uh, that these cells are extremely efficient uh, in repairing functionally the myocardium. We don't know yet exactly if they contribute directly to the regeneration of the myocardium itself. It's possible that they act indirectly through the secretion of a number of factors. But uh, the end point uh, is that uh, the function of the heart is very, very significantly improved by these cells yes uh, for our listeners uh,
0: there was a previous uh, guest dr. Patel who is uh, has a uh, somewhat similar strategy he uses different cells uh, but uh, his his initial clinical results uh, were also uh, uh, very promising and encouraging so uh, we certainly will look forward to Uh, hearing uh, the results that uh, you and your collaborator, uh, Dr. Keller, uh, might uh, see as as you move forward in this regard. Uh, Dr. Pio, this has uh, been most fascinating, but uh, I presume this is uh, just uh, one of uh, many projects you have in your laboratory. Are there any other areas that you'd like to share
1: with us at this time? Yes, we have many other projects in uh, the use, the, the possible use of these cells in regenerative medicine. We have projects related to the regeneration of other tissues, like the kidney, like the lung, and this is largely in collaboration at the University of Milan and many other projects in, uh, in different areas. I mean, since these cells, once again, are ubiquitous and have really a, a vast, vast potential, I mean, we can, we can imagine all sorts of uh, users of these cells in uh, regenerative medicine. But once again, I want to make it very, very clear that this is, at this moment, basic research. I mean, we started all this less than three years ago, and um, we still have a long, long way to go to fully understand the biology of these cells to understand where they come from their ontogeny this is more on the basic uh, science aspect to understand really how they function how we can uh, tame these cells to achieve a number of different functions but i would say that so far um, it has been extremely um, extremely encouraging very rewarding uh, project and uh, we have been approached in fact by a number of uh, people on the clinical side to already start talking about possible uh, clinical applications of, of these cells this
0: is uh, this is most fascinating you, you you've made incredible progress in, in this uh, relatively short three years and while you have uh, cautioned us that uh, there's much more work to be done before there's an appropriate body of knowledge, it, it seems to me that there will be some uh, emerging opportunities that uh, can be, be evaluated in, in some clinical trials. Uh, this is uh, clearly a very rapidly changing field and uh, uh, so we hope that you come back and join us uh, sometime in the near future and uh, give us an update on both your basic science and perhaps uh, also some of your collaboration with clinicians as you, as you evaluate these emerging technologies. Uh, so I'd uh, like to thank you on behalf of all our listeners for joining us today. Uh, I'd like to uh, remind our listeners that uh, on the regenerativemedicinetoday.com website, there'll be a, uh, a brief introduction to Dr. Pao and his work and some links to uh, his, his websites. And uh, also, I would encourage you to uh, uh, drop uh, the podcast uh, an email. It's at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. I'd like to remind you that we're not physicians, and uh, we're not in a position to uh, diagnose uh, any particular medical uh, situations, but uh, this podcast is intended to uh, keep all praised of some very exciting emerging technologies that uh, uh, many believe is the future in terms of uh, of, uh, medicine and medical therapies. Uh, So uh, I'd like to thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine, which sponsors this podcast. And I uh, look forward to uh, you joining us again in two weeks uh, for another exciting podcast. So, Dr. Peo, again, thank you for
1: being with us today. Thank you very much. It was my great, great pleasure to share this with you and uh, with our audience today. And I, I really hope I should be very happy to be back with you and to, gi- to give you more encouraging news shortly. <music>